On the evening of November 18, 1791, guests streamed into the Vienna Concert Hall. They were dressed to the nines in ball gowns, formal silks, and powdered wigs. As the audience settled into their seats, the energy in the room was palpable. They were there to hear one of the most famous composers in Vienna perform his newest opus. The crowd went silent as 35-year-old Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart strode into the hall. They held their breath, waiting for the magic to begin. And then it did. The movement of Mozart's baton completely controlled the dozens of musicians in his orchestra. Every flourish was precise, each crescendo masterfully executed. When the concert ended, a mere 30 minutes later, it was met with rapt applause. The audience had just witnessed a true genius. In 1791, Mozart had the world in the palm of his hands. He already had multiple operas and symphonies under his belt, and he was working on two new pieces to be revealed the following year. But it wasn't meant to be. One month after his performance at the Vienna Concert Hall, Mozart was dead. And some believe he was poisoned. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a ParCast original. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong, sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. This is our first episode on the life and death of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. In 1791, the 35-year-old composer allegedly died of a sudden illness but some conspiracy theorists suggest it wasn't due to natural causes. This week, we'll discuss Mozart's life and legacy. We'll dive into his career and relationships, searching for signs of what really happened in his final days. Next week, we'll explore three popular theories surrounding Mozart's death, including one that suggests Mozart was killed by an underground society known as the Freemasons, for spilling its secrets. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. 
So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Sometime in 1762, six-year-old Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart sat in the back of a horse-drawn carriage with his father, Leopold. The young musical prodigy was traveling 200 miles from Salzburg to Vienna for an appointment with the Austrian royal family. Leopold hoped the opportunity would be worth the long journey. The royal family had heard about young Mozart, and they wanted a demonstration of his talents. Mozart had been playing the piano since he was three. By age four, he was reading and performing complex pieces of music that took even the best piano players years to learn. Before long, Mozart picked up on other instruments, like the violin. It became obvious to Leopold that his son was a genius. Leopold was an accomplished composer in his own right and worked as a musician in the court of Prince Archbishop Count Sigismund Graf von Schrottenbach. It was an esteemed position granted only to those most skilled in their craft. Because of this, Leopold's family lived a somewhat comfortable middle-class lifestyle. They had money for new instruments, the means to travel, and the ability to pursue even bigger dreams. So when Mozart received an invitation to appear in front of the royal family, Leopold seized the opportunity. If his son could obtain their patronage, he could travel the country playing for other nobles. And if he played well enough, he could potentially earn permanent employment in the royal court. As the carriage approached Vienna, 
Mozart's excitement grew. The Austrian capital was the heart of European arts and culture. It was the place to be if you wanted to become a notable musician. Today, it would be comparable to a country singer making the trip to Nashville. When young Mozart arrived in town, he couldn't contain himself. His jaw dropped in awe of the large, ornate buildings, the fancy shops, and the sophisticated people. But even at six years old, Mozart remained focused. He knew he was in Vienna for work, not for pleasure. He'd already performed for the Prince Archbishop of Salzburg, his father's patron. Performing for the royal family shouldn't be all that different. When the time came, 45-year-old Empress Maria Theresa greeted Mozart and his father in the royal palace's ornate mirror room. The candlelight flickered off the white walls and reflective surfaces as the hopeful family entered the room. They bowed as Leopold introduced Mozart to the Empress. Then Mozart took his place behind the piano. Leopold nervously watched on from the back of the room, His son was gifted, but this moment was crucial. If the Empress wasn't impressed, all the money Leopold spent traveling to Vienna would go to waste, and it might ruin Mozart's future career prospects. He had no reason to worry. Mozart was ready for this moment. His fingers moved with dexterity, speed, and grace far beyond his years. He didn't miss a single note in his entire 30-minute performance. When Mozart was finished, he was so ecstatic that he ran up to the beaming empress and embraced her. Leopold breathed a sigh of relief at the sight of it. All had gone as planned. Or so he thought. The Empress enjoyed the performance and paid Leopold handsomely. But she didn't offer Mozart a permanent position in the royal court. He was simply too young. Instead of giving up, Leopold used the experience to secure new opportunities for his son. In 1763, eight-year-old Mozart visited London, where he performed for King George III. He then went to Paris, where he played for King Louis XV. And as Mozart grew, so did his talent. By the time he turned nine, Mozart had composed his first symphony, a complex composition of music written for every instrument in the orchestra, from piano to string and woodwind instruments. But Mozart aspired to write more than symphonies. In 1770, Leopold took his 14-year-old son to Italy, the epicenter of opera. Italian operas were complex musicals with lush instrumentations accompanying the soaring vocals. They attracted the wealthiest members of society. Many of them were willing to pay large sums to commission operas of their own. And one of them wanted to hire Mozart. After a performance in Milan, a small theater owner approached him and asked if Mozart would be interested in writing his own opera. He would provide the venue, so long as Mozart provided the music. So Mozart crafted his first opera, Mitradate Re di Ponto. 
He spent several months writing the music, coordinating with actors and establishing a crew. In December of 1770, it debuted in Milan at the Teatro Regio du Col, a grand concert hall that held a thousand people. The opera was performed 21 times, but was only a minor hit. It barely recouped the money the theater owner had invested, but for Mozart, it was an important experience. He had aspirations to work for a royal court, and he needed to build his resume if he planned on getting there. But even after his first opera, Mozart had a hard time finding a patron. Despite his immense talent, opportunities were hard to come by. In 1773, after three years of continuous travel and money running low, 17-year-old Mozart and Leopold made their way back to Salzburg. Mozart hoped that, at the very least, he could find employment as a musician for the Prince Archbishop, like his father. But that same year, the Prince Archbishop died of old age. A man named Hieronymus von Colorado took his place. Unfortunately for Mozart, Colorado had little interest in music. However, Mozart wasn't ready to throw in the towel. In an effort to make Colorado fall in love with music, Mozart wrote a musical drama called Il Sogna di Scipione. Through his father's connections, Mozart was able to perform a section of it for Colorado. Prince Archbishop Colorado was so impressed that he offered Mozart immediate employment and a yearly salary of 150 guilders, roughly the equivalent of $30,000 today. However, Mozart was only hired to be a musician, not a composer. That meant he would only perform music for Colorado, not write it. It was like being hired to be a house cover band, But Mozart was determined to get paid to create his own originals, no matter what. Coming up, Mozart's narcissism takes a toll on his success. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of but they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home, like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, It's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. In 1773, when Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was 17, he was hired to be a musician for the Prince Archbishop Colorado. His dreams of becoming a world-renowned composer had yet to be realized. Four years later, nothing had changed. His exasperation with his career had only grown stronger, and his frustration was compounded by Mozart's ego. He knew he had more natural talent than anyone else in Salzburg. Mozart looked down on the other musicians in Colorado's court. Many of them couldn't keep up with his abilities. What took him less than an hour to learn might take them over a day. He thought he deserved to be surrounded by more talented musicians. He scoffed when other musicians in the court brought in their own pieces of music. Mozart wasn't afraid to tell them their work was amateurish compared to what he crafted in his spare time. Mozart believed wholeheartedly that he was a genius, and yet his patron refused to see it. By 1777, 21-year-old Mozart couldn't spend another second performing for the Prince Archbishop. He handed in his resignation. Accompanied by his mother, Anna Maria, he set out west looking for work. They began with the city of Mannheim in modern-day Germany. Like Vienna, Mannheim was a cultural hub for music, and it was there that Mozart was introduced to the Weber family. Fridolin Weber was a respected musician who played the double bass but Mozart wasn't particularly struck by his talents. He did, however, have eyes for his daughter, Aloysia. She was a well-known opera singer and the most beautiful woman Mozart had ever seen. On many evenings, Mozart and Aloysia practiced music together. Mozart envisioned her someday playing the lead in one of his operas. For Mozart, these nights were the highlight of his time in Mannheim. He was head over heels for Alosia. Unfortunately, his feelings weren't reciprocated. It was the first time in his life that Mozart suffered a major heartbreak. To ease his pain, he dove deeper into his music. But no matter how hard he tried, Mozart couldn't find the work he wanted in Mannheim. Without the promise of romance to tether him, he packed up his things. In 1778, he and his mother traveled to Paris. Unfortunately, like in Salzburg and Mannheim, nobody in the French capital wanted to hire Mozart as a composer. Even more disheartening was the fact that no one in Paris appreciated his music. He performed regularly in small music halls throughout the city, but there was little enthusiasm for his pieces. It was like getting booed out of a dive bar. He was a long way from getting standing ovations from the Empress of Austria. As the weeks stretched into months, Mozart and his mother's funds ran low. 
They were forced to stay in dingy apartments while Mozart taught music lessons to make ends meet. But that still wasn't enough. Mozart had to sell off some of his instruments just to get by. Then, in the summer of 1778, Mozart's time in France came to a disastrous end when his mother grew ill. No records remain to suggest what her sickness was, but on July 3, 1778, 57-year-old Anna Maria passed away. Mozart was devastated. His mother had given up everything to support him and his dreams, and now she was gone. Mozart blamed himself for her death. If he had swallowed his pride and taken a musician's position instead of holding out for a job as a composer, he would have afforded a better lifestyle, and maybe Anna Maria would still be alive. After his mother's passing, Mozart left Paris. The city harbored too many unpleasant memories. At the end of 1778, 22-year-old Mozart headed back home to Salzburg. Back in Austria, Mozart's father, Leopold, assured him that his luck would turn around. Leopold had spoken with Prince Archbishop Colorado. Mozart would be able to work for his old patron again, and this time as a concert master. Mozart would finally write and conduct his own music. Not only would he be doing what he wanted, but he would be handsomely compensated. The position paid 450 guilders a year, about $90,000 today. Mozart hardly cared that he wasn't in a major metropolis. He could bring everything he learned from his travels and apply them to his work. Abroad, the trend in concerts had shifted to a focus on the piano as opposed to a string orchestra. So Mozart wrote pieces for Colorado with that in mind. It proved to be a critical breakthrough for him. Colorado fell in love with Mozart's piano concertos. He considered them master classes in the craft, and he wanted the world to hear them. He sent copies of Mozart's sheet music across Europe. Mozart's concertos could now be performed and enjoyed by more than the Prince Archbishop and his court. The impact was monumental. It was like an artist's first time being played on the radio or breaking into the pop charts. Mozart's popularity finally reflected the attention that he thought he deserved. Then, in 1781, Prince Archbishop Colorado received a message from the royal court in Vienna. The new Austrian emperor, Joseph II, invited Colorado to attend his coronation ceremony. Colorado asked Mozart to come with him. Bringing his prized composer would be a good way to show off a little. Mozart was elated. He hadn't played for the royal family since he was six. It was a golden opportunity. This time, they couldn't use Mozart's age as an excuse not to hire him. Though we know the trip to Vienna did indeed change Mozart's life, the details of what happened are a bit vague. More than likely, he met the royal family and many other members of Austrian high society. Whether he performed for them is unclear. 
But we do know that Mozart didn't leave Vienna. When Colorado announced they were departing for Salzburg, Mozart flat out refused to go with him. His insubordinate behavior was not taken lightly. Colorado was incensed. And to be fair, he had a right to be. In this moment in history, Mozart was just another musician. Colorado gave Mozart a chance when nobody else would. He paid him a hefty salary and sent his music all over the continent. And now Mozart was making Colorado look like an impotent fool. So the Prince Archbishop fired Mozart before he could even resign. Mozart didn't really care. He was determined to fulfill his childhood dream of working for the royal family. And if he had to give up his position with Colorado to get it, that was fine with him. In Vienna, Mozart stayed with old friends. The Weber family, with whom Mozart and his mother had stayed in Mannheim, now lived in Vienna. They offered to house him for a while. When he arrived, he learned that Alosia, Mozart's first love, had gotten married, which would have been more heartbreaking if she didn't have a sister. Alozia's younger sister, Constanza, was 19. Like Alozia, she sang opera professionally, and apparently she was equally as talented. During his stay with the Webers, 25-year-old Mozart and Constanza would lie awake until the early hours of the morning, discussing music. Constanza enjoyed Mozart's company, but she also thought he could be a bit bullheaded and arrogant. She frequently reminded him that he was only a human, not a god. She wasn't interested in falling in love with an egomaniac. Mozart tried to take her words to heart and continued pursuing her. Before long, Constanza's parents caught on to his affection for their daughter. They approved, but respectfully asked him to leave to ensure their relationship remained chaste. And so, Mozart found an apartment in the city. He spent his days writing letters to Constanza. His words became his music. With each new letter, Constanza's reservations around Mozart's narcissistic tendencies faded away. The two fell deeply in love. As they did, Mozart continued his efforts to find employment with the royal family. But they had plenty of talented musicians and composers. To get what he wanted, Mozart had to infiltrate the emperor's inner circle. And he knew how to do it. Coming up, Mozart competes for the Emperor's favor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now, back to the story. By late 1781, 25-year-old Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart had been in Vienna for nine months. He played concerts wherever he could, but his career had plateaued. If he wanted to work for Emperor Joseph II, something needed to change. Then, out of the blue, opportunity arrived in the form of a letter. The royal court invited Mozart to a Christmas Eve event at the royal palace. His reputation as a musician had apparently trickled into high society. As part of the evening, they asked Mozart to compete against an Italian pianist named Muzio Clementi in a musical duel. Mozart reread the letter to confirm it was real. Clementi was an acclaimed pianist. Excitement bubbled up in his stomach. The world would finally see that Mozart was better than the best. Not to mention, there was a substantial prize for the winner. On Christmas Eve, 1781, Mozart strutted into Vienna's royal palace, prepared to give a concert that would change his life forever. In his mind, he deserved every second in the spotlight. The life of a celebrated musician was his destiny. But to get it, he had to beat Muzio Clementi. For the first round, both musicians would perform a musical piece of their choice. In the second, they'd take turns playing alternating movements from a single composition. The audience was nominally the judge, but in reality, Emperor Joseph II would decide the winner, and he expected greatness. Clementi drew the first straw, The room went silent as the Italian started. Clementi played a piece from his recently crafted Opus 24, Sonata in B-flat major. The music was fast-paced and upbeat. Clementi played with incredible skill and finesse. The finale to Clementi's piece was magnificent. When Clementi finished, the audience politely applauded. Mozart didn't say a word, but he was impressed. If he was going to win, he had to pull out all the stops. When it was his turn, Mozart performed what became known as his 12 variations on A Vous du Rege Maman, a classic French folk song that's title translates to Ah, mother, if I could tell you. It was at one moment light, then dark the next. Each shift was dramatic, yet seamless. To the audience, the lightning-fast tempo not only showed Mozart's prowess as a musician, but also his genius as a composer. The different takes on a simple folk song they all knew were remarkably clever. It was clear to everyone that Mozart was more skilled than Clementi. The Italian pianist's performance was wonderful, but robotic. He was like a machine, reading the music in front of him and producing the results. But Mozart was living in his performance. 
He provoked feelings and emotion from the crowd that no one believed possible. Clementi knew that he had been bested, but in the end, the emperor declared a tie as a courtesy to both musicians. That was fine with Mozart. He was certain that his performance would make him an esteemed composer in Vienna. However, Mozart wasn't offered employment at the royal court. He was crushed. He understood that the concert wasn't an audition, but Mozart was certain that after a full demonstration of his ability, the emperor would hire him on the spot. In truth, there were no open positions in Emperor Joseph II's court. Mozart had to wait for one to open up. But in the meantime, his career and his personal life took off. In 1782, he married Constanza. The next year, they started a family. By 1784, 28-year-old Mozart was the musician in Vienna. The biggest venues in Austria were desperate to hire him. His performances sold out to critical acclaim. Encouraged and inspired by his own success, Mozart started producing work at a blazing pace. A new concerto every few months, an opera every year. But while Mozart may have been one of the hottest tickets in town, it was the theater owners who profited most. Mozart shared his cut with dozens of other musicians that played with and for him. Which is to say, financially he was doing just okay. But Mozart spent his days rubbing elbows with the upper class. To blend in, he had to keep up certain appearances. He had to dress like them, dine with them, spend like them. He even purchased expensive custom-made instruments. To make extra money, he taught music lessons and created work on commission for high-end clients. But to get those clients, he needed to attend parties with the elite. He was stuck in a vicious cycle. As their debt soared, Mozart and Constanza downsized apartments. They essentially lived paycheck to paycheck. But at the end of 1784, things changed when an elusive, exclusive part of Viennese society took an interest in Mozart, the Freemasons. The Freemasons were an underground society formed as early as the Middle Ages, and they still exist today. The group is equal parts fraternity, ceremony, and philosophy. Historically, they've taken a particular interest in initiating members who are influential in their respective field or expertise. Politics, art, culture, you name it. Known members include George Washington, Winston Churchill, and Harry Houdini, Nat King Cole, and Rudyard Kipling, among countless others. Unfortunately, we don't know who was in the organization at the time that Mozart joined, or who recruited him. But you can imagine the doors that opened when he joined its powerful network. Mozart's activities within the Freemasons remain a mystery. But in his lifetime, he was open about their existence. He wrote letters to his father about how much he enjoyed being part of their ranks. He even incorporated Freemason symbolism into his sheet music. 
It wasn't rare to find an all-seeing eye, an important symbol for the Freemasons, scribbled on the corners of the pages. In a sense, membership gave Mozart the validation and feeling of superiority that he had always so desperately wanted. And with a powerful underground society behind him, Mozart once again set his sights on becoming the head musician and composer in the royal court of Vienna. But Mozart had competition. A man named Antonio Salieri also wanted the position. Like many members of the emperor's court, the 34-year-old composer hailed from Italy, the prolific home of opera. However, Emperor Joseph II wasn't impressed by Salieri's background. When a composer position finally became available in 1787, it went to 31-year-old Mozart. Ambitious as he was, Mozart didn't celebrate for long. It was a step towards his dream, but he wasn't the head composer yet. And even though Salieri was bested for the moment, he wasn't about to roll over. He did everything in his power to make life in court a living hell for Mozart. Mozart often wrote to his father back in Salzburg and complained of the problems he was having with Salieri. He felt he was being blocked at every turn. Occasionally, the emperor asked one of the composers in his court to design a sonata, opera, symphony, or some new piece of music. Whenever these desirable commissions were assigned, Mozart got the least prestigious piece. No one is quite sure if Mozart got lesser commissions because he was the newest member of the court or because of the friction between him and Salieri. It's also unclear if their rivalry was one of mutual respect or malice. Think of it like John Lennon and Paul McCartney after the Beatles broke up. Both had spent a lot of time together, and they each crafted beautiful music, but their egos often got in the way. As the years wore on, Mozart's attitude changed. He felt strained from the competition with Salieri. The pressure he placed on himself to succeed had a terrible effect on his mental health. The once stubborn, confident Mozart became prone to terrible mood swings. By 1791, 35-year-old Mozart's fragile mental health gave way to waves of paranoia. He experienced sluggishness, sometimes for weeks on end, but Mozart didn't attribute his physical symptoms to his mental state. He told his wife, Constanza, he thought he'd been poisoned. Mozart never mentioned who he thought was behind it, but he suspected that someone was slipping poison into his meals. Unsure of how to help, Constanza encouraged Mozart to focus on his music, the one thing that always made him feel better. That year, Mozart crafted two major pieces of music. One was an opera called The Magic Flute. Much of the plot of this opera revolves around a character named Prince Tamino, who must vanquish the evil queen of the night. Over the course of the opera, Tamino is put through several trials, which some scholars believe allude to the different levels of Freemasonry. The Magic Flute was a success, 
praised for its light tone and intricate music. Its initial run lasted over a year, a length that was unheard of at the time. The other piece of music that Mozart started was a requiem, a piece of music meant to be played to honor someone who has passed away. Mozart wrote it on commission for a wealthy German man who'd lost his wife. But he joined the afterlife himself before finishing it. On November 18, 1791, Mozart gave his final concert performance in Vienna. Two days later, he was bedridden with a fever. He was in terrible pain. His muscles and tissues started swelling. His body broke out into a rash and boils. With each passing day, Mozart grew weaker. In the early hours of December 5th, 1791, Two weeks after falling ill, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart died at his home in Vienna. His official cause of death was listed as severe miliary fever, a generic term for an infection resulting in a rash. But Mozart's doctor wasn't so sure. Unfortunately, there was no way to challenge the diagnosis. Mozart's body was placed in a grave along with four or five others who had died in the city around the same time. It was a standard burial for middle-class citizens. Despite Mozart's fame, in the government's eyes, he was still a commoner. And he died without ever achieving his dream. The entire musical community in Vienna mourned Mozart's passing. They had lost the greatest composer of their time, and he still had so much to give. Stricken with grief, Constanza couldn't bear to even go to his burial site. Years later, when his body was exhumed to make more room in the cemetery, no one claimed it. And nobody knows what happened to his body from there. After Mozart's death, rumors circulated about what else might have caused his untimely demise. After all, Mozart openly claimed he'd been poisoned. Which meant he believed someone wanted to kill him. But who and why? The suspects make up our two conspiracies for next week. Conspiracy theory number one. Antonio Salieri poisoned Mozart to clear his path to becoming the head musician and composer of the royal court. Conspiracy theory number two. After the Freemasons discovered that Mozart openly shared information about the society, they killed him to ensure their secrets stayed safe. Hundreds of years later, the mystery of Mozart's final days still lingers. Music lovers all over the world are left to wonder what the great composer might have crafted with just a little more time, and whether there is someone to blame for depriving the world of Mozart's genius. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with part two of The Death of Mozart. 
You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Conspiracy Theories for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Robert Tyler Walker, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 